All right, got a big show for you today. I'm going to be joined by Dan Pizzuta from Sharp Football Analysis later on to talk about the big Tyreek Hill trade and what this means for the Miami Dolphins, whether or not this makes them a playoff team, and what it means for Tua. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the fight. Wednesday night, the Miami Heat are playing the Warriors. They give up a 13-0 run in the third quarter, and during a timeout, Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam are getting into it with Jimmy Butler. Cameras catch it, and it blows up on the internet. Everybody's talking about it. We covered it on Locked on Heat. I encourage you to listen to that for the full breakdown of what happened, but I just had a few more thoughts on exactly what went on and how it can impact the Heat going forward, and specifically Jimmy Butler. And I get that people are pointing the finger at Jimmy Butler right now, and look, if guys are mad at Jimmy Butler... They should be, right? Eric Spolster, Udonis Haslam, very clearly frustrated, upset with Jimmy on the heat bench there. At that point in the game, okay, Jimmy Butler had taken just 12 field goal attempts. After that argument, he took just three field goal attempts in that game. On a night when the Heat had Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo, their three top players, Against a Warriors team missing their top three guys, Steph, Draymond, Clay. They weren't playing for Golden State. They were resting. Steph was hurt. Uh, and you can understand why they were looking at Jimmy, the alpha on the team, and saying, hey, man, just bring this one home. They're putting Chris Chioza, Damian Lee, Jordan Poole on the floor for 48 minutes. You can't tell me you can't go seek out that matchup in a, in a pick and roll and bully them in the post and just get buckets. So I understand if guys were mad at Jimmy Butler. And you can kind of zoom out on this stuff, right? Here's Jimmy Butler's uh, averages in March. It's not been a good month for Jimmy Butler. 18.1 points per game on 42% shooting, 4.3 rebounds, 4.0 assists, okay? You compare that to what Jimmy has done all season long, it's not good. Jimmy's... Averages for the season, 21.2 points per game on 47% field goal percentage, six rebounds, five and a half assists. His numbers have dropped to just sort of an average type of wing player. They don't need Jimmy Butler to be average. The Heat need Jimmy Butler to be the guy who dragged that team to the finals a couple seasons ago. And by the way, Jimmy Butler knows this, okay? Jimmy Butler knows this. That is why he was so defensive, all right? That's just a natural human reaction. How many times, for example, as a, a, a significant other or a boss or a parent or a sibling or a friend called you out on something that you knew you were doing wrong? I think 99% of us react the same way. A little defensive, right? Maybe you don't react the way that Jimmy Butler did saying he's going to fight Eric Spolstra. That's what some lip readers think that he was saying. But you get naturally defensive. It's a natural thing, okay? And Jimmy Butler got defensive because he knows it's true. Whatever it was that Eric Spolster was saying to him on the sideline, I bet it boils down to some version of, hey, man, we need more from you. You're not doing enough. You're not playing well enough right now. Jimmy Butler hasn't, wasn't playing well enough in that Warriors game. Like I said, he had... Everything he could have wanted to play Jimmy Butler bully ball the way that we saw for so much of this season, and he wasn't doing it. He scored 10 points in the first quarter. 
I leaned over to my Lockdown Heat co-host, David Ramil. I said, I know he had 10 points in the first. It felt like he could have, he should have had 20. Okay? He finished that game with 20 points on 7 for 15 shooting. Fine stats, fine. He could have had 40 against the Warriors last night. He should have had 40 against the Warriors last night. By the way, Jimmy Butler hasn't scored 30-plus since January 29th. And I know there's a lot of things happening with the Heat, adding in Victor Oladipo, bringing back Markeith Morris. Jimmy Butler's been in and out of the lineup dealing with injuries. I get it. But they need Jimmy Butler at his best. When Jimmy Butler is at his best, the 40-point triple-doubles in the NBA Finals, that when he's at that version of Jimmy Butler... He imposes his will on the game, okay? His greatest skill is playing hard, playing like an MFer, okay? That is Jimmy Butler's greatest skill. It's his conditioning, it's his basketball IQ, and it's just going balls to the wall for 40 minutes. That's his best skill. He is not talented enough. He's not a good shooter. He's not just... He's not big enough, talented enough to just sort of coast through games. He can't float around. He's not talented enough. His best skill is playing hard. So when he's not playing hard, it looks like it looked last night. Listless, okay? It looked to me, and this is not the best comparison, I get it, but it's the only one I can come up with. LeBron James against the Mavericks in the 2011 Finals. It wasn't as big of a moment, again, at the end of the day, just a regular season game. It's not that big of a deal. But it was the best thing I can compare it to where you're just like, why aren't you doing more? It's like that meme with the stick and just says, do something. It's like, why? You have every... J.J. Barea's on you. I mean, what's the difference? I mean, Chris, like, between LeBron James posting up J.J. Barea and Jimmy Butler trying to post up Chris Chioza, okay? It's not that big of a... It's, the same sort of thing, and you're just wondering, hey, man, you've got every advantage here. Why don't you just do more? And it's frustrating when you watch it. And I bet it was frustrating when Eric Spolstra and Udonis Haslam and Heat's teammates were watching it and saying, hey, man, why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you doing more? They also know that Jimmy Butler is combustible, that he needs that edge, right? This is the reputation. He needs that edge. He needs that FU attitude. He needs that bulletin board material. Whatever it is, he needs a fire lit under him. And there was that Associated Press quote that was making the rounds yesterday and, um, and a couple days ago that I think was a little overblown, but I, I guess it's worth bringing up here. Jimmy Butler told Tim Reynolds from the Associated Press, I do keep the main thing the main thing. That's basketball. I do want to win a championship. We all know that. I do want to be healthy. We all know that. But if I'm too locked in, I forget about everything else, everybody else, and I don't want to do that. That's good, level-headed perspective, right? Not knocking him for that. I'm not knocking for him for that. And at this, age, at this point in his career, at his age, maybe that's the, the healthiest thing for him, right? is making sure that he's doing the big face coffee stuff over here and he's taking it easy over here and not taking things too seriously. I understand where we are in regards to athletes and mental health and all that stuff that 
we need to be looking out for that stuff and that athletes need to be looking out for themselves in that way. I am not knocking that. I am not knocking that. I will say this. Maybe he's gone too far the other way. Maybe he's gone too far with the, you know what? It's the regular season and I'll lock into the playoffs, whatever it was. Because all I know is that the way he approached last night's game did not rub his teammates and his coaches the right way. Okay? And everybody talks about how Jimmy Butler was the perfect player to sort of carry the torch for heat culture when Dwayne Wade left. Right? Perfect fit. Okay? Well, if that culture, if hashtag heat culture really does work, this is going to be the perfect thing to get Jimmy Butler going. Because if Jimmy Butler isn't locked in enough, that's the whole thing with heat culture. Getting players to lock in. Best condition, best shape, best performances of their careers. That's what heat culture is supposed to do. We've seen it work. There's a reason why they believe in it. And it's a reason why players around the... We can make fun of it in the media and all this stuff. Players in the NBA, they believe in it. Okay? They do. Talk to enough players. It's a thing. They talk about it. They think of it as real. Jimmy Butler, when he got to the Miami Heat, there's, wow, what a perfect fit. His dog attitude combined with that dog-like mantra in Miami. Perfect. Pat Riley, Eric Spolster, Udonis Haslam, Jimmy Butler, all cut from the same cloth. Sure. Part of that is calling out each other. Right? Jimmy Butler has done a lot to carry the torch for Heat culture. No doubt about it. Triple-double against the Lakers in the finals. Carrying, bringing them back to the finals for the first time since LeBron left. He, was, he has done a ton. For, he has put his imprint on Heat culture. A living, breathing organism, Heat culture. This is the time where we could see Heat culture work more for Jimmy Butler than what Jimmy Butler has done for Heat culture. If the Heat are going to get to where they want to go, they better hope that's what happens. I'm here with Dan Pizzuta of Sharp Football Analysis, who wrote an awesome piece uh, kind of breaking down all the X's and O's and angles of the Tyreek Hill deal to the Miami Dolphins. So first, Dan, thanks so much for uh, joining the show. Let's start with the deal itself. Five draft picks, uh, first and second rounders this year, plus a fourth rounder this year, and then a fourth and a sixth rounder in 2023. Uh, what do you think about what the Dolphins gave up for Tyreek Hill? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a lot, but I think one of the the good things, especially when you like look at what the maybe the Devontae Adams trade to is like it's a little more than that, but also not a lot in multiple years, right? So it is like the the first rounder in uh, 2022, and it's the, the second rounder also, but um, you get to keep those 2023 picks, which I think is is going to be big, either you know continuing to build the roster or, you know, well, I think we'll get to it. If there's a quarterback decision that needs to be made after this season, that either gives you the ammo. If you know, another vet uh, pops up or another, um, or you just want to jump into the 2023 class, which look like it's going to be a little better than the 2022 class. I think keeping those picks is huge. Um, not having to give up a second first rounder is big because I think we're seeing you don't really do that for non-quarterbacks anymore, even though they did give up a lot. It's it's kind of spread out. Um, and I think the way Miami had other assets uh, throughout the draft, I, I think it kind of helped them. And, and it's not going to feel like it's as much as maybe like it, it looks in the terms of being all of those picks. 
Yeah, that was sort of my initial reaction was, wow, five draft picks. And then you kind of look at the individual picks. You're like, all right, you know, the first rounder this year, which it didn't really sound like the Dolphins were super high on it just because of how hard they hit free agency. You didn't really get the impression that they thought that they were going to fill a major need uh, with a pick in the late 20s in this first round and a second round pick this year. And then then you're really just talking about a handful of day three picks, which isn't really the end of the at the end of the day isn't that big of a deal especially considering how poorly the dolphins have drafted right i mean they've hit guys like jalen waddle and jalen phillips and things like that but it's really sort of just been hit or miss with them uh more than anything um you could you could argue they've had you know bigger misses than they've had hits um but in regards to an offseason which has just been full of huge moves Tyree Kill, where does this move rank, do you think, in, in an offseason that has just been pretty crazy? I mean, certainly the most surprising, right? I think we got yeah. the the news that, hey, Kansas City and Tyree Kill aren't really coming to uh, an agreement on a contract extension. He's allowed to go seek a trade uh, about, like, what, a half hour later? It was like the Jets and Dolphins already have deals on the table. It's going to be one of those two. Right. And then, like, an hour later, it's like, okay, Tyreek Hill's traded. Um, so I think definitely, like, the most surprising, like, even the Devontae Adams trade was, was certainly surprising, but yeah, that was, you know, a, a contract dispute that we kind of knew of. Um, same thing with, like, uh, you know, Russell Wilson and, and everything. So it definitely the most out of nowhere one. I think it is is super impactful too, um, because of what the dolphins are going to be in, especially like this new offense with, with Mike McDaniel, um, you know, it, getting that type of speed just all over the offense and now going like with Jalen Waddle, uh, whether it's significantly impacts like 2022 of how good they can be. I think like looking forward, it's definitely like one of the bigger moves, uh, like no doubt for, for impact going like a, across this deal. So how do we expect Tyreek Hill to impact um, the Dolphins' offense? Because in Kansas City, he leads the league, you know, for the last few years in receptions, yards, touchdowns, um, you know, with with twenty or more air yards. Right? He's a, a deep ball threat, best deep ball threat in the in the NFL. Um, that doesn't really mesh with what Tua does as a quarterback, or even Mike McDaniel's, you know, more conservative ball control type of offense. Um, you look at. You know, Tyreek Hill, there's this stat that's been making the rounds on every single network. Top three fastest uh, average speed uh, players in the NFL. It's Tyreek Hill, number one. Debo Samuel, who, of course, Mike McDaniel coached in, in San Francisco. And then and then Miami's Jalen Waddell at number three. Those are your top three fastest players in the league. Um, so does Mike McDaniel sort of stick to that conservative offense? Or does he say, you know what, I've got two of the fastest players in the league. Let's start throwing it deep. What do you expect? Yeah, I think that's the interesting part. That's the part that I'm I'm really I want to watch because I do want to see how he kind of shapes that and what it is. But it's probably going to be a little bit of both, right? You have guys like Tyree Kale and Jalen Waddle who obviously really fast can win downfield, and I think you is probably the the less thought about the actual structure of the 2021 Dolphins offense, like the least less you think about it, the better, because it was, it was not fun to watch uh, because of how just RPO heavy it was, how they like really protecting the offensive line and the quarterback, everything had to be uh, these short pass. So it was, you know, Jalen Waddle was running like all these speed outs and like, he's really good at that. Um, but you could use him down the field a little more. And I think when you look at like to a can throw deep, I just think that wasn't available for a, a lot of, 
yeah. circumstances last year. I think it, like when you look back at Alabama, like he was still throwing about 15% of his passes deep and he was accurate there. And I think if, if you look at how that translates, like you can say, you know, he had a lot of talent that was leading to wide open receivers down the field. But now what are you getting with Jalen Waddle and, and Tyreek Hill? Those are going to be wide right. open receivers down the field. And so um, I think you look at it like last year, he had 7.7% of his passes went 20 or more yards down the field, uh, which was second lowest. Uh, and only Daniel Jones had a lower among like full-time starters, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't great. But on those passes, he was uh, only 30 passes, 15 of 30. So that's a 50% completion percentage. That's really good for deep passes. Uh, if you look at like expected points added, he was uh, tops in EPA per play on those deep passes. So they were effective. They just weren't a big part of the offense for, for a lot of reasons. So I think if that's there, they can use it. Uh, what is really interesting about the Mike McDaniel offense and like the kind of the, the Shanahan branch, I think is just, it's all predicated on finding space, right? Whether that's deep, whether that's working guys in the middle of the field, it's all predicated on getting these receivers into space, letting them run in, in some way. Um, when you have a guy like Tyreek Hill who turned into like one of those short intermediate, uh, pass catchers, they kind of add a necessity because of how teams started playing the chiefs on defense with that too high structure, right? And they were selling out so much that they couldn't just be throwing the ball 30 yards down the field. So Tyreek Hill's uh, average depth of target has dropped like every year over the past four seasons. And it dropped by like two and a half yards from 2020 to 2021. Uh, So he was really living in that intermediate area, which was kind of where uh, Travis Kelsey was, but Tyreek Hill kind of had to be that guy too, just because defenses were, were doing everything in their power to to stop those deep passes. So I think you have Tyreek Hill who can win in that area. You have Waddle who's going to win in that area. When you add Gusecki there, I think you there's a lot of guys who, when you look at how they can line up, they can line up all over the field. If you have like a, a trips set, you could have a uh, Hill uh, on the inside in the three, which is where he did a lot of damage in Kansas City. Um, you can have Jalen Waddle as the isolated receiver on the other side. You can have Gusecki as the isolated receiver on the other side with three receivers. You had Cedric Wilson in there um, as the trip set. You can have Hill. He had a lot of still isolated. So I think there's just so many ways. It adds a lot of uh, dynamics and, and versatility to what this McDaniel offense could be. And if there's a proof of concept a little bit, they can start hitting those downfield throws and defenses start to play too high against them, then you have that whole Shanahan like run game that can actually take right. advantage of some of those light boxes. And then you have the speed of Raheem Mostert uh, and, and Chase Edmonds. And I think like that opens up a whole nother area that a lot of teams that are like going against these two high defenses, like don't really have. Um, so I think that adds another element. So that's just one of the things. It's just, there's so many answers. I think they potentially have to a lot of questions. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of ways they can like, even if some of the individual players and like, or the quarterback play like, isn't great. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways you can kind of mask that. And I think the yeah. way their personnel is set up right now, it just gives them a, a lot of different options. Uh, that was Probably the best breakdown I've heard. That was really good. Uh, just to, I'm going to attempt to add some something to that, and it's maybe maybe more so echoing what you were saying. But it was so funny with all the two high looks that Kansas City was getting last year, and that was sort of a really big talking point when they were struggling, particularly early, early in the season. The Chiefs were, and we kept hearing, "Well, maybe you shouldn't just keep throwing deep to Tyree Kill and all this stuff." Um, and you know, the Chiefs' offense adjusted as it went on, but you know, if 
or if Tua can't make the, like, you know what, I'll just say, Tua can't make the same sort of throws that Patrick Mahomes can make, right? He's not, he, even, I, I'm with you, I think that it's a little overstated that he just, quote unquote, can't throw deep, but right. we know he can't throw deep like Mahomes. But one thing that we know about Tua is that he really likes those intermediate routes and he's super accurate at that. And that Mike McDaniel and that Shanahan offense has incorporates a lot of those things too. And I almost wonder, like, everybody keeps talking about how much Tyreek Hill can do for the Dolphins. And obviously it's a ton. You hit on the too high safety thing. I mean, the, all, everything that it's going to do from the running game perspective, the Dolphins were the worst running team in the league last year. Like, it's all going to it's all going to open up because of Tyreek Hill's presence. And by the way, the additions they've made on the offensive line, the other additions that they've made in the in the backfield and other receiver spots. But um, I almost wonder, like, what can Mike McDaniel do for Tyreek Hill? Which sounds crazy because he's coming from an Andy Reid offense, and Andy Reid has done so much for Tyreek Hill. But I, I think it'll just be interesting to see, you know, the genius of Mike McDaniel that we keep hearing about implementing a player like Tyreek Hill because we know the story. We, we know what he did with Debo Samuel, but he like created Debo Samuel. And I'm not trying to take away anything from Debo, but like Tyreek Hill is like an established six-time Pro Bowler now, like. It, it, it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Like, do you think that Tyreek Hill sort of could be their their Debo Samuel? Do you expect them to be used that way? As, I'm sure there are elements there. I mean, you probably don't want him in the backfield, you know, too often. But I right. think when you look at like so much of the motion uh, that they run, I think like you just, when you have like, and I think a lot of this has to like come in a package because you just have you have Hill and Waddle, right? And that's kind of like a force multiplier of things. It's not just you have the speed of Tyreek Hill that can potentially kill defenses. Like Jalen Waddle, like it's probably maybe potentially the closest thing we actually have to like another Tyreek Hill because of the speed and the way he runs routes and uh, what he can do to you know shift defenses. So when you have those two things on the field, like you put them in a stack on one side and that's like almost impossible for, you know, two cornerbacks to defend off there. But I think if you get back to like kind of some of the Debo stuff and just the 49ers, the way they use receivers in general, a lot of, a lot of motion, I think is going to be like, we're going to see a lot more jet motion. I think we're going to see some more like orbit motion when you're going behind the back. Uh, we've seen some, um, uh, there's a, a play from like, uh, 2020, uh, that, the Chiefs use and they've used it a bunch with Terry Kill and they I, I tweeted out one um, of the Dolphins using it where it's like uh, an orbit motion around uh, the back and it goes like straight into a wheel route. Uh, and just mm -hmm. like that motion, it just completely shifts what the defense can do. They, it's either if it's man coverage, uh, it's somebody running right across and then going up the field with with the receiver, uh, or if it's zone, you might just lose that guy, and that's kind of what happens. You have the speed of Tyreek Hill on that. I think we'll we'll see that like a little more. So I think you'll you'll see just schematically they'll be moved around much more. Um, and, and like I said, it's it's all about creating space. Um, so uh, I think. You know, the, the Kansas City offense was was perfect for what Tyreek Hill wanted to do, um, especially you can just like you run down the field and, and he's going to get open. There were uh, there was a lot of like schematic openings there. But I think we're, we're taking that to like maybe like nine other levels uh, with this type of, of Shanahan offense that's going to, I think, create on, on each level of the field. Maybe this was already answered before the addition of Tyreek Hill, but you mentioned the RPO earlier, and one of the reasons why the Dolphins leaned so heavily into it was, number one, you know, it created more time uh, in the pocket for Tua, even if it was like a fraction of a second. Um, the protections were so bad that they needed it, but um, also because he's really comfortable in that RPO-style offense. He's comfortable, you know, making reads in those kind of settings. Do you—it won't be like— 
100% of the offense the way it was last year, certainly. But how much of that RPO do you anticipate um, Mike McDaniel bringing and, and maybe Tyreek Hill contributing to? Yeah, it, it'll certainly still you know play a part because that's you know having that option, especially in the you know the Shanahan type of offense that McDaniel's going to bring. Like when you have that run game there, that where the run game should work now, right? Yeah. Because you just not only does the scheme help everybody, like like you said, you know, Teron Armstead at left tackle is kind of a force multiplier for. Um, for the offensive line, just like that's significantly better than anything they had there. You know, Connor Williams is fine, like an average guard, but that's a much higher bar than anything that the Dolphins had. So I think you have that offensive line that's going to help. Um, you have a, a legitimate threat in, in the run game, which probably does help some of those RPOs. So it will um, help. I think just in, in the, the short passing game, I think just in general is going to be good because uh, a lot of things with the 49ers last year, they didn't necessarily go as heavy of play action as they did, but they had a lot of like short dropbacks. Um, and I think they, they led the league in like, um, or were at the top five with like 65% were just short dropbacks. Um, and I think that's going to help to it too. It's going to have like the timing of the RPOs, but have be able to, you know, open up a little more in the passing game. And last year, I think what really hurt in those RPOs was they didn't always have guys who were going to get open immediately and to uh, like per connection stats led the league in throws into tight coverage and with his average depth of target which was so low um like one of the lowest in the league and throwing into tight coverage that's just that's a recipe for disaster and really doesn't happen right. i kind of did a study on this a couple years ago where um you get more separation the closer you are to the line of scrimmage, just because it's, it's easier to create there. And when you're usually running deep, you're running deep with like a, a cornerback right on you. So separation is closer. Right. So that's usually where tight windows happen more. So for the Miami offense, you have so many tight windows in this short area of the field. Um, that's just, you're not going to be able to sustain a good offense. And I think we kind of mm -hmm. saw that a lot. So I think what's really going to help is that short area of the field is going to be way more wide open. And those tight window throws are not going to be forced. So that's going to have some more room after the catch. And now you have Tyree Kill. And now you have Jalen Waddle who can run after the catch. So I think that just all adds together. And it's going to, whether it's, you know, the RPOs or just short passes in general, there's just going to be so much more available during the throw and after the catch. Uh, that is, I think, really going to help the offense. Yeah, and from a team building standpoint too, it's just, I find this really interesting. It's been sort of a two-year project of just adding as much speed to this offense as possible, yeah. right? And it, it kind of started with Jalen Waddle. I don't know how much of like obviously the speed was a reason why you take him where you took where, where and you know Dolphins moved around in the draft, ended up taking Waddle. They were targeting him, but um, you know the route running and everything they like about him. But you add Jalen Waddle, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is what speed can do to our offense. This is pretty crazy. Uh, has this incredible year as a rookie. Mike McDaniel gets hired, and they just double, triple, quadruple down on speed this is one of now the fastest offenses in the league i would think i mean when you look at miami's weapons now have and then i'm i'm, I'm glad they brought back kaseki because i just don't think that that's a talent you can replace and things like that like um where does this dolphins sort of group of weapons stack up against some of these other teams that they're going to be competing with uh, i mean in terms of like is just in the division i mean you probably have it probably like in terms of wide receivers stacks up with the yeah. bills just because, you know, you don't have maybe anyone as quite as savvy as Stephon Diggs, But um, I think it's in a way where the bills where you can, they have a lot of guys that are just 
you can use them in a bunch of different ways. And I think that's what Miami unlocks yeah. too. Um, it, even though like you can say the skill sets of Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle are are similar, I think they, they're really underrated in how good they are in other areas of the field. They're not just guys who, mm-hmm. you know, run down the field. They're, they're more than that. Um, and I think you can see that from Waddle. Like he didn't really, he wasn't able to even use that downfield speed last year. And he was still so good because he, he get, can get open on, on the short um, and intermediate plays. And I think there's going to be more of that. Um, I think you, you know, it, it's definitely as probably at least if they're not as good, is skill position wise as, as the bills, they're right there. Yeah. definitely, you know, better than the Patriots and, and the jets right now. So I think you, you certainly have that. Um, and, and then like, I think what another thing I like about it is, is the versatility, not just in the wide receivers, but you say, you know, Gesicki is kind of this big slot, uh, type of receiver, you know, more than a tight end. Uh, but then if you like want to go to 12 personnel and use two tight ends, I was really big on uh, Hunter Long coming out of the draft last year. Um, and I kind of think he fits perfectly as like a Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan type of tight end, a guy who can run, you know, a lot of crossers. Um, he was running a uh, week, which is, you know, a Shanahan favorite staple. Um, yeah. I think like he can block well, he can be that pass catching. So I think it just, uh, in terms of just how well you can use all of these guys in so many places, uh, it, it really gives them just so many options. And I think that's potentially like what's really fun about the offense right now. Yeah, and you mentioned the Bills. I mean, what um, Stephon Diggs' addition was able to do as far as Josh Allen's development and he, how he took that leap. I mean, you you just – I think if you're a Dolphins fan, you're hoping that adding somebody like Tyreek Hill and obviously all the other things that we're talking about with Mike McDaniel and everything like that, like that that turns into a leap for Tua. One thing I'm pretty sure about is that Tua will be better this, this coming year than he was last year. I guess the only real question is how much better and is it going to be good enough because – um, there's, everybody keeps saying this, but now there's no excuse for Tua, right? You add Taron Armstead, you've added the guards, you've added the weapons, you've added everything. You've got one of the best deep threats in the league, a guy who completely open up the offense for you. Um, I, I'm with that sentiment. I get it. And I think it's a valuable thing for the Dolphins to figure out one year of Tua. If it, if it's, if, if he's the guy, then you, then you know, and if not, like you mentioned earlier, you still have your first round pick in 2023. You could you could maybe get a CJ Stroud or a Bryce Young or something potentially like that. They're going to go at the top of the draft, but who knows? Um, free eight. I think the other part of this too is, you know, a free agent quarterback. You know, the next Tom Brady or whatever. Like, could look at the Dolphins and be like, oh, the offensive line is better. They've got a ton of weapons. Like maybe I and I maybe I'm going to go live in Miami and throw to all these dudes for a couple of years. Like there's that opportunity for the Dolphins as well, where I don't think any quarterback looked at Miami's offense and was like, yeah, I want to play with those guys. Now I think any quarterback would look at the offense and be like, those are a bunch, that's a group that I would like to play with. Um, All right. Uh, Do you think that this makes the Dolphins a playoff team? I think they're, they could potentially, I think uh, be around like that wild card. Um, I think it definitely does. Right. And I, I think you kind of have to be also healthier on the defense. Um, the defense has to, you know, play to the potential that, that is in the, you know, like individual players uh, on that side of the field, which is kind of, you know, up and down a lot last year. So if, if they play closer to what you expect that talent level uh, on defense also, that, that definitely helps. Um, I, I, I do, I like it. I don't see how this offense becomes 
bad, right? Like, yeah, I think it's it's right. going to be passable. And I think, w- like, when you go back to the Tua question, it's you know he's probably going to be better. I think the bigger Tua question might be: is that because of him, or is he so insulated from the offense? It, it maybe is like a Jimmy Garoppolo thing. And in Jimmy, having Jimmy Garoppolo is not the worst thing to have. Um, I think it, that it's a bigger question when you're looking for an extension. Uh, you know, do you want to be paying this guy twenty five million dollars a year instead of like the seven you're paying him on on a rookie deal? Right. Um, so I I definitely think the offense is going to be you know uh, probably a, maybe a top half of the league offense, which which is fine. And if you have a good defense, um, you know that can that can set you up. You know the, it's tough in the AFC also. Um, right just because like everyone is loading up in the AFC, but I, I would expect them to be closer to, you know, battling for, for a wild card, um, than, than they would be like at the, at the bottom of, of the AFC. Um, I think they're probably the, the second best team in the division right now, easily, especially with all the talent that, you know, new England's lost more than they've added, um, this off season and, and the jets still, I think they have a bigger question at quarterback than, than the dolphins do right now. And they haven't been able to add uh, quite as much to, to help that out. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I could say that I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see them, you know, contend for, for a wild card. All right. Give me a final grade for the dolphins off season. For the Dolphins offseason, uh, I would I would say I mean I've I've been grading uh, a lot of uh, moves over at SharpFootballAnalysis.com uh, and I've been pretty much all, all of the big moves have been writing up. So uh, I'd see if I would take all of it. It's probably a, you know at least around a B plus, which I think is good. And if you're like getting over a, a C plus at this point, I, I think you're doing well. And I think it's exactly what you would hope. Kind of they went in a way they went to do everything right. Like they obviously had the glaring need on the offensive line. I think, you know, you could go the, you know, maybe the Cincinnati route where they've kind of just added a couple of people to upgrade almost every spot. But I think Teron Armstead is, is so good there. And, and in yeah. that uh, system, like the way that blocking is going to be, I think that that just it really helps out everybody. And um, I think it puts other guys in, uh, in better positions on that offensive line too. Um, you add the speed. I mean, like I, I was a big Cedric Wilson fan um, coming out of college and, and his role there. So even as like the number three wide receivers, I think that's great. Um, uh, again, like, uh, and having like a guy like Alec Ingold, I think you just, I think there's just, just there's so many options here. So I think it, it's hard for this Dolphins offense to be wrong uh, because they have a lot of ways to, to work it out to make sure they're right. Um, so uh, with the, all the cap space they had and, you know, e- even taking this big swing for Tyreek Hill, like it's, I think that's where you want to be trying to take advantage of a quarterback on, on his rookie deal and figuring out what that is going to be going forward um, and whether you want to continue with that quarterback or, or not. So I think this is probably exactly what a team in their position should probably be doing. So yeah, it's, it's in terms of like a team philosophy, uh, I'm all for it. Team philosophy is not something that we've heard a lot in Miami. For the first time in a long time, it feels like this offseason has some sort of blueprint, a personnel plan, um, and that's that's fun, especially when you add a guy like Tiger Kill. At the very least, the Dolphins are going to be fun to watch for the first time in a long time. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, Dan Bazudo, Sharp Football Analysis, thanks so much, man. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, that was awesome. Uh, hope to have another episode for you next week. I know I've been absent the last couple of weeks on this feed, but that's because I've been working on a couple of big writing projects that came out recently. If you haven't checked them out already, please 
uh, go to The Ringer and read my feature on Victor Oladipo that gets into the details of his rehab and how he's been dealing with trying to get back to his all-star status and sort of the emotional wear and tear with all of that. Found it really interesting, his quotes. and talked to some people around him. It's been really tough for him, so please go check that out. Uh, and then for the Miami Herald, I wrote about the work Tyler Hero has put in that has contributed to him making his leap this season and becoming the leader for sixth man of the year. Uh, I'm really proud of both of these pieces. I really am. So uh, please check them out. Uh, share them on social media if you want to. Whatever. It just means the world to me if you read them. Um, and as always, you can listen to the daily Locked On Heat podcast as well uh, with me and my co-host David Ramil. Um, and I want to try a new mailbag type segment on this show about just weird things you see people do in public. Thinking about calling it, uh, should you be embarrassed or should they be embarrassed or something like that. So if you see anything that someone does that's embarrassing or that they should be embarrassed of, or you have just any ideas, drop me a line, wcgoldberg at gmail.com. Uh, that's how to get in touch with me. That's the show for today. All right, have a great weekend. <laughs> 